Hello again. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm joined by Billy Derrick and Luke Wyatt. We'll talk Vanderbilt football and whatever's in the mailbag. And of course, off the top, I always mention our show is part of the 440 Sports Network. It is presented by four kind sponsors. The first of which is the Wash House. If you are dreading laundry day, it is time to start giving your laundry to somebody else and doing the things that you enjoy. Let the laundry professionals at the Wash House take care of that for you. With two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area, drop off your dirty laundry and our professional attendants can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, and that is your time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh, and clean laundry ready to be put away. Check them out at washhouseclean.com. Stop in today. Get your time back. That business is run by a good friend of mine, Stephen Andrews, wonderful human being. Anyway, give them your business and tell them you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. The show also presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I can tell you about their services, which they provide purity milk and ice cream, as well as Haagen-Dazs and Mayfield and Nestle to customers in southern Kentucky, northern Alabama, Chattanooga, and north Georgia, but rather talk about their product pure ice cream is so so good and we're out of it as a consequence we're not getting oreo out the door as quickly for his walks so i need to take care of that if you didn't check in last week one of the benefits of purity ice cream is that you can just drop a little scoop on the floor oreo will come to the door you can take him on his walk and that buys me back time. So Washout's not the only place that can buy you time around here. Uh, so got to get some more purity. Been a busy week. And so I'm going to stop in at my local Kroger today and try to grab some. But gentlemen, um, boy, we were all need an ice cream after that one on Saturday night. Uh, Billy, you and I have weighed in. Luke, let's get your take on that. Well, I need three scoops of ice cream cups. I've watched the game three times. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so out of pocket uh, Saturday night. So I, I was watching bits and pieces. And then so I watched the entire game again and then watched it again yesterday. And uh, this, I, I mean, it rings true. Like I've said since the beginning, this team has a small uh, margin for error. And when you lay the ball on the ground the last two weeks the way we have, 10, 10 fumbles. Not, not all of them were, but in two weeks. Now, now look, people say I'm not critical enough or I'm a homer or whatever. I don't know what you do. I, I know how we practice. I know what's taught. But when kids think when they get up 17 to nothing that the game's over with, that's the part I worry about because I saw that. And I've seen that in my 40 years of being at Vanderbilt. For some reason, our kids, and I say our kids because they've been in Vandy for a long time, the same kids, same type of mentality. They think they're Alabama. When they get up 17 to nothing, we're an SEC team, and they're from the WAC, and we're going to win because we, we're we Vanderbilt and we're in the SEC. Well, that's the farthest thing from the truth. And I want to say one other thing, and this is a quote that one of our winning coaches gave to our team 
when the season began one year, he said, and this was when Auburn was playing really well and they were national power, so to speak. He said, guys, if we play to our best, how many games will we win this year? And this is when we had 11 game schedule and everybody said, well, 11, he goes, well, we're going to, we're going to have a chance to win 11. If we play poorly, how many do we have a chance to win? If we don't take care of the football, if we don't execute none. What about Auburn? If they don't play well, well, they'll still win eight or nine. That's what our kids don't understand. And I know coaches try to drive it through their head, but if you don't take care of the football and execute the little things, and I don't want to pick on our center, but right now I don't know if he has the yips or what, but that's stuff that just can't happen if you want to win a football game against anybody. You know, we, we want to point to the opponent so much. It has nothing to do with the opponent. It has to do with what we're not doing. And I would love to see us play four quarters and have an e- either an even turnover game or be a plus in the turnovers and see what happens. Because I think that's the biggest problem. Everyone wants to say, fire the coaches. Coaches aren't doing this. The players aren't playing. I just want to see that one time. And then I can draw more of a conclusion of what type of football team we have if we ever have a game that we play clean. Guys, I'm going to ask you, and I'll start with Billy, and I'll ask Luke. Turnovers, lack of tackling, just awful offensive line play. And look, <clears throat> corners, maybe not not adequate SEC running backs for things that I brought up. But those first three, line play, turnovers, bad tackling, were not stuff that I saw in fall camp. I didn't go to every practice, but I went to about 15 of them. Did you guys see that starting with Billy and and where is this coming from? No, I didn't see it. And that's where a lot of the confusion comes in for me, Chris, because, you know, going to fall camp, being there, being, you know, close to the team, interacting with Coach Lee and players after practice. That's that's where a lot of my confusion comes in. But of course, I'm a rookie at fall camp. You know, you you know better than I do not to overreact to what you see in fall camp. Right. But you can make observations, right? You can make, um, you know, confident statements that, that you feel good about. And, and I, you know, I was talking about the offensive line as a, you know, not a dominant group by any means, but a group that has returning starters and you should be able to rely on them. And they were high on, on that offensive line group coming into the season. So you just haven't seen that. You haven't seen that carry over. I think there's been some, some, Spotty play at time. I think Grayson Morgan has has come in and played well as as well as he can. You saw Leighton Nelson go in there against UNLV, but it doesn't correlate to what what I saw during fall camp. And then Chris, you you know you also mentioned tackling. Was it tackling the second thing uh, that you mentioned? Yeah, tackling. They and it's funny we we hear about the this this program tackling the most in the country out of any team in fall camp. Um, it doesn't feel like that has has correlated either. So, and you can't, you know, <clears throat> the built-in excuse of this is this is a young team. Yeah, they're still young, but at the linebacker room, that they, they're experienced, right? I think you've seen s- some missed tackles there that 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 you weren't expecting. Uh, the front seven, you know, I don't know that that's been the tackling issue, but back back in the safety position and the corner spot on the edge and at linebacker. I, I just don't think they've been good enough, and they've been there, right? They they have been in position. I think that's the biggest thing that <clears throat> that worries Coach Lee. He's putting them in position, right? Their defense, they're in position, but they're just not making the plays. And I think that's that's what I go back to. 
they're not making the available plays. And like you said, Luke, when you're Vanderbilt and you're not making the available plays, you're just you're not helping yourself out. You're not doing the bottom line, right? The bottom line is making that play when it's available. But if you don't do that, you're putting yourself way behind the eight ball. So yeah, Chris, I it nothing's really correlated, and that's why I've been. That's where a lot of the confusion starts for me. Well, and you exact you guys you're you're right, Billy. Here, here here's my thing. We have four guys in the top ten tacklers in the SEC. Now. Is that because they're getting more opportunities to make tackles? <laughs> I don't know. But we have three receivers that are in the top 10 in the SEC. We're averaging 34 points a game. We're giving up 29. I'm not sure, Chris, you may know this. Statistically, let's just talk about stats for a minute. Where does that put us in correlation to the first two Vanderbilt teams under Clark Lee? Well, they're a lot higher, and to be fair, they've had one more game. So if we're using cumulative stats, they're going to rank higher. But, yes, they, they have some guys, but I was writing something yesterday. I was answering some questions for the Kentucky Rivals site, and they were asking me just the litany of what's gone right and what's gone wrong. And, and, and basically, I said, look, you've got three receivers who are pretty good. They are, they're challenging in the, in the passing game. And I didn't say it just like this, but if you read the whole thing, this is what you could take away. And I said they've got a couple safeties that played pretty well in Taylor and Wright. After that, not, not a whole lot to hang your hat on here in terms of good stuff. But, yes, to your point, they, they do have some things that they didn't have when Clark got there. Did we lose Luke? No, I'm here. I, I, okay. I don't I, I, I'm just, that's why I was asking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't, I mean, look, the, the conversation when he got here was, you know, who, who on this team would play anywhere else? And, and you had to, um, you know, get out the magnifying glass and, and, and dig deep through that roster to find more than a, a very small handful of guys. So, yeah, that, that's the other thing I want to mention here, Chris, <clears throat> And I talked about this while I was watching the game with a couple other people. And, and you know, I, I, I was asked the question. I said, do they not have the talent, right? Are, are, are the players not better, right? Right, isn't, isn't this year three? And, and I said, I, you know, they've got the players I, I, I think they need, right? And, and, and you know, you start to you, – you do start to question that a little bit. But I, I haven't wavered from that, and I don't think I really will. Because, like you said, Chris, they you know at linebacker, yeah, they've got they've got C.J. Taylor and and um, of course you know Mahoney at safety, Derricky Wright at safety as well. Uh, and you, you start to ask yourself, how many NFL players do they have? Who knows? Probably three to four potentially right now uh, at at the highest. Uh, but I think they still have, and Joey talks about this all the time. They still have the pieces. Right. They, they have the talent there, which is another reason why I've been so confused. And, and before we got on, I told Luke, I said, Luke, if they find a way, if they ever find a way to play a clean game and execute their game plan. I mean, that that's right. If if you're Vanderbilt, that's that's what you have to do. Right. You can't like you said, Luke, you're not Georgia. You have to play a clean game. Right. You cannot afford, especially where you are in this build to not. And so. That's the question, and Clark said they'll they'll leave it to chance until they do that. I'd like to make a point here, if I could, and I brought it up to you, Billy, before we went on air. 
I look at some scores around the country every week, too. I look how other teams are losing or winning and what we need to do better and that type of thing, comparison. I watched a team that's been coached by the same guy for probably 20 years look like we looked. And that was Oklahoma State. They get beat by South Alabama 35-7. to seven. Mm. Okay, and there's a coach that's been in that program. Does that mean he needs to be fired because he lost? A, you know, I get so sick of that. And Ohio, they, they go in and beat Iowa State 10-7. to seven. They have a really good coach, in my opinion. Miami of Ohio beat Cincinnati. You know, it happens, especially at Vanderbilt. Like I said, when you don't play clean, you have no shot. It doesn't matter what the opponent is. It could be Claremont mud. It doesn't matter. Good enough. <laughs> We're not good enough to get that done. And uh, I know our kids hate that because a lot of teams can roll the ball out there and play sloppy and still figure out a way to win. When Vanderbilt is up 17 to nothing, what do you guys think happened after that 17 to nothing? Let me let me pose a question. Where, where do y'all see the turning point of the game at 17 nothing? I felt like that bad snap on the punt might have been it. Um, I can't remember if that made – I think UNLV had scored a touchdown on the on the running play to the right where nobody was home. The end got sealed off. Nobody came over. And then you're like, okay, that's that's one touchdown. You get the ball back. You get stalled inside your, your 30. You make a simple punt snap that you made – I don't know, hundreds, thousands of times between games and practices, and you hit an up back. I mean, how often does that happen? And, and I, I get, I mean, look at, I, I, Luke, you and I disagree on a few things, but you, you, you do have a point there with the turnovers, and, and that's not something that that usually they are good enough to. Now, I would argue that they should be able to overcome a, a couple of turnover deficit against a rebuilding UNLV team in the in the building that had thirty eight people there. It looked like from TV, it was more than that, but. You guys know what I mean. But, yes, you do have a point there. Yeah, 17 nothing, right? You you get the bad snap on the punt, and then UNLV goes down, and they score a 21-yard rushing touchdown, right? So then it's 17-7. They get a field goal later. They make it 17-10. to And then all of a sudden, here comes UNLV. And then the fumble on the reverse, which was brutal. I'm not not really sure about that play call, by the way. And then they go down and they tie the game at 17-17. So if you look back at those two touchdowns, the field goal, of course, you know they, they ended up stopping UNLV on a drive, but those two touchdowns, those were gifts by Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt gave UNLV those two touchdowns. Now, again, maybe if UNLV gets those possessions, maybe they do go down and score, but again, as Clark says, you leave it to chance. You, It's UNLV, right? But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter right now with this program. And that's where I want people, that's what I want people to understand. And Luke, you've tried to say this. But this is not year five, year six, right? This is year three, Vanderbilt. It doesn't matter. And this could have happened against Alabama AM. And it did in the first half with the with the Swan interception. And and it was a close, it was close through three quarters. It's really right? so I'm sorry, Billy. Excuse me. No, you're good. It's really year two. I, I've I've told I've told Chris this. I worked at Vandy 40 years. I saw some low ebbs, obviously. In the late 70s is the only thing I can compare to what Clark took over as far as talent-wise. But the other thing Clark had to battle was the administration, how poorly the university was viewing athletics at that time, uh, then the COVID stuff, the whole thing. 
it was probably the worst time to take over any program. The fact that we could find a head coach at that time, if he really well walked in and looked at where we were and said, good grief, I can't win a football game with what we have here. And Clark has put himself out there because he, he this is what he lives for and lived for. He wants to make the succeed. Now, if you want to criticize him, of course you can. But last year at this time, we were almost having the same type of conversation. You know, we haven't played yeah. a game yet, and everyone thinks it's over. We're going to go 8-0-8 eight, oh and eight in the league and 2-10 and ten overall. Every game sits on its own merit. It was, it, you know, we may get beat 53-2 Saturday, but we may win 24-21 to 21 again. So, you know, I just – I look at it game by game, week by week. I don't look at it as our program is this. But it's like Clark says, if we keep turning the football over – we're not going to win until they figure that out. It doesn't matter who we play and when we play them. Luke, I want to ask you something, and, and it's this is going to have a long preamble. We, we talk about people overreacting. I think at Vanderbilt, it's usually it's it's an underreaction to things. Um, and, and look, I can back up all the stuff you said about how bad the program was. You can go back and listen to my podcast from 2019, 2020, you can just hear it in my voice. You can hear some of the things I said. I, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing at sometimes and how bad it had gotten. And again, some some things have never made their way to the podcast. So I, I, I think we're all in agreement on that. But we also heard him talk before the season, and there was a lot of optimism. You could hear it in his voice when you talked to him or heard him speak privately. And, and I think that their expectation, if you'd said they're going to go two and two at this point it wouldn't have just been oh well we're rebuilding I think they would have been surprised too and I, I'm just wondering because I I don't sense a private panic I, I don't hear stories about a divided locker room or or whatever no maybe they're there and I'm not hearing them but but I'm not I mean there have been times where the the stories behind the scenes explained a lot about what you were seeing on the field. And I'm not seeing that, but I think what you pointed to Luke was the inadequacy of a lot of things. And again, I'm not, I'm not absolving coaching uh, completely in this. And especially on the defensive side, I, I think there's some things that they're going to have to get better quickly if they're going to beat anybody anytime soon. But I, I'm just wondering, and I'll use this as an example. I, I know that the narrative private is they get everything they want. They get everything they need. But I, I bet you, if you looked at their NIL, I, I'm guessing it would rank 14 of 14 in the league. Uh, it's still the hardest place to get into. And again, this is not to say that they can't do a better job as coaches. But when you got players, uh, that that can bury a lot of mistakes. And they're just they're just not there at certain spots. They're not there on either line of scrimmage. They're not there at corner. Um, they're not there running back. And that's that's a lot of, that's a lot of positions on the field I just named. And here's what I'm getting at. Are, are Clark Lee's asks, asks aggressive enough? And I'll give you an example with, with my two kids. I've got a I've got a nine-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl. And get, getting kids out of bed, or well, getting one kid out of bed is just it's a chore. Um and I've I got one kid who's pretty easy to manage and one kid that God help you if you can get him to do anything that, that you want him to do right now. And 
with my daughter, if, if I said, all right, Bella, we need to get up for Sunday church and you need to be up by seven, but we want you up at six because we want you to go clean the kitchen. Bella would probably go do it. We could tell my son, hey, buddy, we need you up at 7.15 or, or 7. And we're lucky to have him out of bed 15 minutes after whenever he's supposed to be up without screaming and get out of my room and all that kind of stuff. And so you tailor your asks to your children a little differently based on what you realistically know you're going to get. Luke, in your opinion, is Clark tailoring his asks to the fact that at Vanderbilt, you're never going to get what you get everywhere else. And so let's keep your expectations low. Let's set the bar here when it needs to be here and, and see if we can get. And I, and I got some other follow-ups because I, I have some questions about him getting um, what he needs. And by the way, they're not just on the administration. I'll get to that part in a minute. Uh, well, I, I think as far as getting things he needs, as far as nutrition, all the stuff that was lacking before he got there, simple things, air conditioning in the weight room, all that type of stuff. That's been corrected. Okay. And I don't think those are things that we have to worry about anymore. My biggest worry, and you brought it up at the beginning of this is the NIL stuff. And I don't know where to lay the blame there. Is it, you blame it on our fans because they say, well, put a winning product out there first, then we'll support you. Do you blame it on the university? You know, we're spending all this money on facilities. Do we, uh, I don't know. Can the university, I don't know what the ins and outs are or if there are any rules with it. What can or can't we do as a university to help the football program uh, with NIL? I just, you know, I look at a, a total opposite situation like they have at Colorado right now. I mean, they're having to turn people away that want to give money. I had a conversation with Rick George over the weekend. He's What he's told me, I can't even believe is going on at a, at a university right now. So, you know, where we're at and the situation and where our fan base is, and I'm not being critical of the fan base, I'm just telling you how it is. They want to be shown first that we're going to, that there's progress being made before they, you know, dig in their pockets because they've been burned so many times and lied to so many times. And I think that's the problem there. I think Clark gets what he wants, Chris, and you're right about this. You know exactly what to ask for. Um, you know, I, I noticed yesterday in the press conference, uh, I don't know if it was you that asked, but anyway, you got to talking a little bit about injuries and this type of thing and going into the portal. And he basically said, we're not a portal program. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, we're going to live by it. We're going to be de developmental. And that is true. That's the way it's going to have to be at Vanderbilt. It's, it's the way it is. Now, Duke's having success right now, but they're the same way. One of our former players' son is a quarterback, backup quarterback at Duke, and he told me, he said, Luke, to approach at Duke and what Clark is doing is the same thing. Same thing. He and Mike Elko are good friends, and they had the same philosophy about how to build a program. But the difference is Mike Elko took over a team at Duke that had some athletes and had some players. It is in the well, ACC. Yeah, and I, I hear this thing. I used to sit in Robbie Caldwell's mm -hmm. office and talk to him forever, and he would say, man, we need we need this, this, and this. But the answer we get from Vanderbilt is, well, we need to see some success first. Yeah. And and it gets to be this vicious side. I'm like, what What do you mean you need to see this first? I mean, you, you've got nothing compared to everybody else, and you're supposed to win so you can get what you need to win. It, it, the, the narrative there is absurd. 
and, and it's 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 like a virus that hangs over that campus. And you hear it some from fans too. And look, we, we've talked about the three kids they could have had on this team, one signing in the class, two kids that left to go elsewhere. You remember they addressed corner through the portal. They had that kid from the, the D2 school committed mm-hmm. for a hot minute who was an All-American. Wisconsin comes in and snatches him away. I mean, that's two. That's maybe potentially two starting corners you had that, that could have been helping you. Maybe you see two entirely different corners on the field right now. And again, I'm not blaming this all on NIL. People have a hard time uh, assigning multiple causes to to, to things. And I, I see some things in coaching that can get better, but I also see some things in terms of resources. And everybody's going, well, man, look what they're doing for this and this and this. And yeah, that, that's, that's great. That was needed. It's huge. But I don't think they're addressing the entire landscape of needs. That's that's my opinion. Nobody on the coaching staff has complained to me. Nobody's asked me to say anything. I just look at things. I've covered it for and look, we're at the point, guys, where we've done this podcast for nine years. I, I've covered zero NCAA tournament wins in basketball and zero winning seasons in football. Now, now you can't tell me this is a place that. That, that sees everything correctly. And, and I think it bleeds over into the fan base. I, I think Vanderbilt fans and donors are so used to, I'll just, just crap for so long that they don't know any different. Um, I'll give you an example from personal experience. 20 years ago, when I started VandySports.com, I'd, I'd run into Vanderbilt fans and I'd try to explain, Hey, this is what we're doing at Vandy sports. We've got this website. We cover games. We got this message board where we we give you questions. This was pre-Twitter. We at one point we broke twenty-something straight commitments for football before kids started going on on Twitter. Like all this stuff that nobody was doing. And, and I would go talk. I'd say, hey, if you're a Vanderbilt fan, you, you might come on our site and, and consider. There's this whole world over here that that exists that that is never served Vanderbilt fans. And I, I don't mean to. What I'm about to say, I'm not trying to pick on a person or something, but like the only other place that you could get anything for Vanderbilt was Vandy Maney at the time. And, and Don Yates is, is a good dude. I consider him a friend. They, they were doing that community real service. But you would say to Vanderbilt fans, hey, we got this whole website over there. And they'd, they'd look at me and say, oh, so you're Vandy Mania. No, 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 I'm not Vandy Mania. We're a different thing. We, we do different things than they do. And, and because that's all they were used to, nobody would ever come over because they had it in their head. Oh, like they wouldn't even listen to the stuff that you said. They're like, oh, well, all we know as Vanderbilt fans is Vandy Mania. So why do I need another one of those when I've got one over here that I've been visiting for, for forever? Um, and, and people could not get their heads around the fact that there was something out there that that they weren't getting because they'd already gotten they always gotten the same thing and they weren't used to anything else. Um and, and I just I think some of it is on the fan and the donor base for just kind of always being used to mediocrity and never thinking any bigger than they are. I mean, like if you gave Clark Lee 10 million dollars a year for NIL, you can't tell me that the product would not look different than it does. Of course. No, I, and and I, oh by and oh by the way, I would I would tell people <laughs> we are Vandy Sports, and the next breath, you know, I'd be talking to somebody, and you know, if, uh, somebody's buddy would walk up. Hey, this is this is Chris from Vandy Mania, and I just like, <laughs> I, it, what, 
Give well, up. you do. That, but that that's kind of an analogy for where this fan base has always been. They yeah. don't even know to think differently. They don't even know that they're not thinking differently. And when you hear donors say stuff like, oh, we need to wait till we see success before we can invest. I'm like, you're just going to be right back where you've always been because nobody knows any better. No, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. I, I don't, you know, I, I can tell you this. I worked for, I think, seven different athletic directors, maybe eight. And there was only a couple that had the vision that we're talking about here. Most of them were like, okay, I'm here to get, collect my paycheck, maybe move on to a better place. In the meantime, we'll make sure we've got a good tennis program and golf program, but, you know, we, we, we only have the capability to win three or four football games. I, I mean, that was their mentality. And, and the, I'll even go further than that. On campus, this goes back to the 70s. Bill Parcells was, wanted to be our head coach. All hmm. he asked for was, can we paint the stadium? Can we get some more money for recruiting budget? No, you won seven. We won seven games with the budget we have. We can still keep winning. That's <laughs> It's interesting, Chris and Luke, and Luke. Let me propose this to you. Remember when James Franklin got here, right? Guns a blazing, lightning in a bottle. It wasn't really until year two where people were like, "Whoa, you know, he has changed Vanderbilt football." Even then, it it was almost like it it didn't feel real. And and for a coach to come in there and and obviously you go you would have to go back to the early eighties, right? When, when when all that all that really dominant football was happening, and then it wasn't really until James Franklin got there when a similar thing happened. And after they beat Tennessee at home uh, for the first time since '82, I think it was, you know, there were hundreds of fans just crying. I mean that that's how that's kind of the perspective, right? Of okay, even when James Franklin was here and winning every every other week, yeah, it was a down SEC. But like you said, Chris, it was so out of the norm, right? And and that's and and it that's why it's hard, I think, mentally for some Vandy fans to to say, hey, yes, we are changing, right? And the times are changing, and yeah, you know, it'll take time. I I I we felt like it was a little bit before this season, Chris. I mean, we would talk about that, and and same with Luke. Um, but yeah, there's this built-in sort of historical block. For, for a lot of fans, and it can be tough. It can be tough to to get in front of. I want to say one more thing. I talked to a head coach for about an hour. This was before our season started. And this coach has won a national championship, okay? He's actually won multiple national championships. So you can narrow down who this was I was speaking with. And he told me, he said, from every coach I've ever known that's been to Vanderbilt, they say it's two things. Great place to work, but they're only interested in winning. They're not committed to winning. Yeah. Mm. And that's that was it. That's all he had to say. Well, as much as I never liked James Franklin, uh I, I still think he's a not not a great human being. My my dealings with him were difficult. Um James just looked at everybody as as a as a pawn on the chessboard to be moved for his benefit. But in at the same time, there's <clears throat> part of the method you can't blame him. It's like having to electrically shock somebody into reality. I think James was having to do that all the time. That's where I did feel for him a little bit because no, nobody knew any better. Um, you know, and the, the, the rationalizations I heard when Vanderbilt needed an A in 2019 about why 
they had good candidates out there. And, you know, they'd already made up their mind before they talked to guys that this guy isn't the right thing. For, I'm like, why do you not want better for yourself? And and I, I think that that I, – I still think that the way they botched that in 2019 has ramifications that, that have hurt them uh, up until today and, and will probably go – years into the future with that. But they they just – Fanable just does not know how to think in a winning manner. And in some ways, there's just so much arrogance there that, that you can't get through to anybody to think differently. Well, I, I will say one more thing about this. I, I still think and I still hope, hope that Daniel Deermeyer understands what we're talking about. Because if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not going to work. None of it is. Uh, when you – when you uh, you know – when I watch what's going to happen Saturday, which will be probably okay, stadium holds what twenty nine thousand right now. They'll probably like twenty thousand yeah. Kentucky people. Let's let's make a guess. Yeah, twenty thousand Kentucky fans. What other you know? And you want to put blame on players for turnovers and all that, and not performing. That's fine. But what other program in this country goes when they're at home has to play it like a road game? Maybe sometimes Duke. Maybe sometimes Wake Forest, maybe sometimes Northwestern, and where we fit in those categories. Well, and you throw those teams in the SEC, it, it'll oh. definitely be true. It's, and part of it is that because of the city we're in. I understand everybody yeah. wants to play Nashville. I get it, but that's our kids. It's not fair to them. I remember when we we're playing Tennessee. Clay Condry, an offensive lineman, walks out for the coin toss, and he's getting ready to walk out. And I'm standing right beside him, and he looks around. And he asks the referee. Do I get to uh, do I get to uh, call the toss since we're the road team? <laughs> I mean, you know, how how fa- what kind of experience? You know, Vanderbilt always says as a university, we want the best experience for our students and our student athletes. Well, that's a bunch of you know what because if it was, they'd do everything they could to be a winner. Because athlete- athletics is not much fun when you don't win. Luke, I, and I hear stuff about, well, we want to build our program where it's not transactional, blah, blah, blah. But let me ask you a question. Uh, you, you love Vanderbilt. You bought into the way they did things. I mean, you're you're still here after your retirement going on a podcast for which you you get paid nothing. And, and I get that that has a place at the table. But let's say you're making X amount of money at Vanderbilt and – and Alabama calls you said, Luke, we'll pay you four times what you're getting here. Would you have gone to Alabama? Well, I wouldn't, but that, I'm a rare bird. But, but, I know- most, <laughs> but most people would have. I mean, here's here's the thing. that that is That is now part of the equation. And yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it's tricky. I get it. But I, I don't – you know, in anybody out there in their profession – if somebody calls him and said, hey, you know, m- money is part of what you get. You get benefits, you get work environment, you get everything. But that that's one of the bigger parts of employment. And and I, I don't get the, I don't know, the, the, the whole thing of, you know, you, you're going to make way less over here, but you're going to believe in it for the for the cause and join it. So, no, by the way, um, speaking to the cause, we, we've had 10 straight losing seasons. I just don't know that that's a winning formula. No, uh, I, look, the reason why I'm still here and why I'm never going to leave is as long as they do two things, and they are doing it, they're trying to do it the right way. They try. And, I'm, and when I say that, I'm talking about recruit good kids, 
And that, I know everybody's like, oh, heck with that. Get anybody you can in here to win football games. We saw what happened when that was going on with James Franklin. And once that did happen, and I'm not going to say, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Once that did happen, I was told, and I've told this before on a podcast with you, Chris, I was told by them, someone going out the door, Luke, I'm sorry you're going to have to go through what you're going to have to go through now because they're going back to the way things used to be. So they made that effort. They said, okay, let's let anybody in school we want. We're going to give this head football coach anything he wants, player-wise, financially. The budget tripled, maybe more so. I don't know exact numbers while he was there. The first day he walked in the door, he started getting anything and everything he wanted. He didn't have to, you know, we talk about he had to fight for things. That's not true in most cases. If he went to David Williams about something, David figured out a way to get it done because David didn't want him to fail. It was too big to fail, so to speak. He was putting all of his eggs in that basket. Kind of like what Rick George is doing with Deion Sanders at Colorado. He's putting all his eggs in Deion's basket because Rick's been there nine years and he knows to be relevant, they got to have something like Deion, something outside the box. And so that's yeah. what Rick told me. He, he said, I was going to get fired. I'm going to get fired either way. So if this doesn't succeed, I'm out. Yeah, and I'm not saying I've got the, you know, that everything I just threw out there is exactly the right cause. You do the X, Y, Z. I'm just throwing out concepts because I think your margin for error is about like that. Right. And you need to do the things institutionally that make it more like that. And I'm just not sure that they're there yet. Uh, Billy, we've we've shut you out here for a minute. <laughs> Talk to me, Billy. Talk to me, my boy. Well, you want to you want to get into that UNLV game a little bit? <laughs> Do well, we have to? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, one um, quick, go, go ahead. One quick thing, and Chris, you know, we talked. You were talking about this a minute ago. I want to backtrack a little bit here. We're getting ready to see uh, part of the, and Clark mentioned it too in his press conference about the Ray Davis thing that there were layers to it, and I know for a fact there were layers to it. It isn't as simple as, all right, Ray, we'll match what Kentucky's giving you or what of that. There was also something to do academically and all that type of thing. So we're getting ready to see how NIL affects Vanderbilt this Saturday for the first time. And, oh, and I think Ray we've Davis, already seen it, Luke. Well, and Ray Davis is a perfect example of it, right? He, he ran wild against Kentucky last year in Lexington. And all of a sudden, because of the portal, you snap your finger – He's playing against Vanderbilt that next season in Nashville. So that's how it can change. And, and Chris, I think I agree with you when you say it, it already has. But on the field, right, this could be kind of a a cherry on top of, of a little proof in the pudding saying, okay, yeah, this, you know, Vanderbilt may have to react to this in a way of, okay, yeah, they're not going to be a portal team. But I don't, also don't think Vanderbilt can sit back. Right. And and it, they got to be strategic is what I'm trying to say in, in the portal. Right. You, and, and that's yeah. it's it's hard to walk that line, though, in, in today's day and age. OK, well, let me say this. Let me push back a little bit. And I mentioned it last week. There's C.J. Taylor still here. Vanderbilt did what they had to do to keep him. Will Shepard's still here. They did. OK. What if we'd lost C.J. and Will Shepard? Then you're then you can say what you say. I'm telling you right now, the NIL thing with Vanderbilt that other schools don't have to deal with is we're picking and choosing who we have to keep. 
That's the difference. Everybody else say, no, we'll protect whoever we've got to protect. Vanderbilt's having to pick and choose. I think that's the difference. Well, yes, Luke, but but here they are. The, the difference is that they'd be they'd be one twenty five in Sagra today instead of instead of one ten. Uh, you know, I, I get what you're saying. They did get some victories, but you know, they're two and two. I think we expected better. Um, I expected I, I, I expected this to be three and one right now. Well, and Luke, I want to go back to what you said about this feels a lot like last year, and I, and I agree, right? That South Carolina game, after that South Carolina game, Chris, you remember he got questions about the Dan Jackson situation. It felt, uh, I don't want to say rock bottom because it wasn't, but it was it was low, right? And Clark would tell you that, right? They, they That was a painful season up until those two SEC wins last year. Right now, they're in a similar spot. It's I would say it's a little worse. Uh, because of you know the schedule they got coming up and the losses they've got behind them, but they 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 were in this situation last year. This this year it's just earlier in the season, right? And so I, I think there are some differences, right? It's not this picture perfect, same exact situation, but we're going to learn a lot about the the resiliency, the 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 internal makeup of this team on Saturday. That's what I'm most interested in, right? Do, do they go into this game folding up the tents, saying we got to play Ray Davis? You know, we got to play a, a Kentucky team that has three stud receivers, a transfer quarterback. You know, the Kentucky, the way they operate now in this portal age, is the opposite of how Vanderbilt's operating. So they can easily look at this matchup and sort of fold it up and say, "Man, we we just don't match up well with this team." Or do they go in and? play to their identity, whatever that identity is. I don't know that we've seen it. Um, and and keep fighting. That That's that's what I'm interested to see uh, with this team. And they'll have another opportunity to do that against Missouri, uh, same in Gainesville, and same against Auburn. I think those would be the winnable games. Maybe you throw South Carolina, maybe Ole Miss in there. But the, the resolve and, and the response, and I said the same thing last week, right after the wake loss, which is – it's getting to the point where it's it's got to happen now. It's got to start happening now because you get to Georgia, Tennessee, you know, Ole Miss, it's going to get a lot harder. So it's and, and I'm just I'm interested to see that response. Billy, before we go to the mailbag, I'll, I'll have you get that ready. And I've got to I've got to do another pod here in about 45 minutes. So not not that we're probably going to go in an hour and a half, but just to let you guys know. Um Part of my concern is it, it just takes it takes so much to get people's attention that I wonder in a, in sort of a twisted way if, if the best thing that could happen for Vanderbilt would be for Ray Davis to come in and rush for 250 Saturday. And then everybody's going, hey, wait a minute. We had this guy on our sidelines a year ago. Why do we lose him? I think, I think that's a good point. And yeah, I hate and I hate that that's where it is, but it just seems like that's what it takes a lot of times at Vanderbilt to change the thinking is something like that. Look, I, I'm not, I'm not wishing that on anybody. Um, you just you did. Know, I, well, no, no, but you know you know what I mean. I but you, Luke, come on, you know what I mean here, right? Well, you said that could be the best thing to happen to us. I I, I can't see that at all. Well, to. I guess to change the thing is I still think there are some major gaps in the way that people look at what they need to be doing and what they're doing with the NIL. And 
you know, to sit here and say that that's not an issue well, for them. But, but I'm asking you, Chris, when you say what they're doing in the NIL, who is they? Whose fault is that? I think we just went over a multitude of, of things. I, I, I just think that – But you I, say, I, I, you, say you don't get keep Richard, you don't keep Davis. You didn't care about a couple other guys that left. Right. So – I'm just, that's what I'm saying. The difference in Vanderbilt and I say Kentucky or Alabama, or whoever, is this Vanderbilt has, is in the position that where they have to pick and choose because they don't have all that in out money. Whereas, you know, we saw it in basketball, we sweated out the Tyron Lawrence thing. You know, is it always going to be that way? I don't know that people are going to keep pinning checks to athletes. Yeah, you, maybe not. Hey, they got a quarterback sitting up there behind Joe Milton who's getting $2 million and hadn't seen the field yet. I'm not sure we spend $2 million a year on NIL. Yeah. And whose fault is that? Is that the chancellor's fault, the board of trust, the athletic director? I don't think it's certainly not the head coach. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I, I'm just saying it. Yeah, I, I, I can't help but think that's – some of an issue that I mean, oh, it, you could get better players with resources and that's, that's a big resource these days. No question. no question. But I'm saying is, how do you solve it? I, I think it takes a different vision. I mean, I just went through the whole thing about how I, I just don't think people see stuff that needs to be done at Vanderbilt until it's painfully obvious. Again, is that Daniel Deermeyer? Are you saying on campus? Are you saying in the athletic department? Well, I mean, I I don't know, I don't know, I don't know who the the. But look, here here they are. They're, they're two and two. When I think we thought they'd be three or one or four and zero, oh, that they've missed out on talent. I, I think it's I think it's hard to get a booster base excited sometimes uh, about giving people resources that they need till they win. I I just feel like I hear some of the same conversations come up around nil that, that I that I heard when I used to sit and talk to Robbie Caldwell off the record when he was here 17 or 18 years ago. And I feel like they're, they're just some common denominators with thinking over there, whether that's athletic director, whether that's president, whether that's the people who would give that kind of money that, that when you hear the same phrases pop up, you're like, Hey, I've, I've heard this before. And they're still kind of in the same place they've been. That's the only point I'm making. And I, I think there is something to be said about, C.J. Taylor, Will Shepard, A.J. Swan, right? Of course, signing with with the Anchor Impact Fund. I mean, yes, it's not the same extent as as a Tennessee or a Georgia or a South Carolina or most of the other SEC schools, but I think the fact that you know those guys didn't leave, like you said, Luke, they could be without C.J. Taylor and Will Shepard and um, A.J. and A.J. Swan, right? And that would that would have been an epic disaster. So I I think the bottom line there is that okay you were able to keep those guys you kept the the core of your of your offense your best player on defense cj taylor is probably the best player on the team uh but you also took some lumps right you lost jadis richard you know obviously they lost ray davis uh and whether those are considered lumps to the coaching staff or not uh, who knows I, I think to the fan base still you know those are those are considered lumps uh but it could have been a lot worse. You could have lost C.J. Taylor. You could have lost Will Shepard and maybe even A.J. Swan. 
Um, I, so, I, I, yeah, you got to look into that. I go back to one other thing, too. If we had Ray Davis and we had Jadias Richards, but we still turned the football over as much as we did, we'd still be two and two. Okay. I think it's out there. Doesn't matter. We're two and two with all those turnovers. Yeah. I mean, 10 fumbles, I think you said, Luke. Ten that, fumbles, that's... But still dropped it on the ground 10 times. Can't snap the ball from center. Can't do the little things. I mean, that's football one on one. I mean, if you can't do that, you're not going to beat anybody. We always yeah. get talking. We lost to UNLV. We lost to a, a whack team. It does not matter. If you turn the football over at Vanderbilt, you're going to lose to whoever's across the line from you. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and Clark said it after the game. He said, we didn't deserve to win that game. He said he told his team that, right? He said, we did not deserve to win that game, even though they were in it late, right? Rinaldi had the interception. They end up missing the field goal, and then they end up calling a timeout. I wanted to bring this up, Luke. And, and Chris, we only have one question in the mailbag. I got it up a little bit late. Uh, but I have, a, I have a question to kind of lead us into that. The timeout. And I've talked to a ton of people about this because I was – I was flabbergasted uh, by it. Vanderbilt and and UNLV both looked like they wanted the game to go into overtime. Uh, I could be wrong about UNLV, but but Clark said the intent was to go into overtime. A player calls a timeout, right? He he confirmed that post game. We don't know who the player is. I don't think we need to know who the player is. Um, if that was a if that was recommended by a coach on the sideline, a defensive coach on the sideline, how do you approach that if you're Coach Lee? And also, Luke, what was your read on that timeout situation? Because you could have been, you could have sent the game into overtime, and then instead, UNLV goes and looks at it and said, "Oh, oh timeout! They called a timeout. They're giving us another opportunity here." And Martel Height gets beat deep. So that whole scenario, I wanted to get both of y'all's takes on that. First of all, it used to be, and I don't know when this rule changed that you only had one guy designated on the field that could call a timeout. Why that could be anybody on the field of the 11 guys, I don't know. I mean, because that could happen a ton. If you let some freshman that's out there that doesn't even know what he's doing as far as that stuff goes, and he calls a timeout, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be allowed to call a timeout unless you're the captain on the, or, or the designated guy. That's the way it used to be for years. I don't know why it's changed. Uh, I'll have to look into that. But that was, that was my take was – yeah, some someone called a timeout. I thought it had to be a certain person, but evidently not. I don't know. I... And and there was so much that happened, Chris. This was kind of this was kind of laying in the weeds a little bit. I think a lot of people forget about that timeout that was called. Oh, I don't. I don't think our board forgot about it. Um, no, the board <laughs> didn't. Yeah, no. I look. There's always multiple causes when you you lose ball games. Yes, it was turnovers. Yes, it was a timeout. Yes, I still think it's talent. Um, so that's that's just kind of where I I am. I'll say this, and we'll stop about the turnovers. If we are even or plus against Kentucky, it'll be a one score game in the fourth quarter. Okay. And and that that leads into the first mailbag question. Uh, and this this mailbag, of course, is uh, always brought to you by Sutherland and Belk, family-owned injury law firm. If your loved one is hurt or in an accident, give Taylor Russell a call. And Chris, I'm I'm frantically looking for their their website and number here. Uh, not sure if you. I'll, have I'll it. pick uh, that up for you. I'll I'll let you get to the mailbag <laughs> and I'll do the reads okay. here. Um, we'll Sutherland Belk later. is a family-owned injury law firm. 
uh, Taylor Sutherland, good friend of the, the show, been mm -hmm. with us since the very beginning, episode number one of the podcast, our only sponsor that's been with us from the beginning. If you or a loved one's been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell Belk a call at 615-846-6200, see what your rights are and if they can help. Good dudes. Um, hopefully you do not have the need of an injury law firm, but Life strikes sometimes, and you might, and and if that happened to me, that's where I would go. All right, our guest line is presented by John Levin and the Mater Nexus's Government Contracts Group. It advises government contractors on all aspects of their needs with a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. Go check out that website. They have got a ton of resources uh, and, and man, if they can't help you with that, I don't know who could because it's a massive operation over there. We also appreciate their sponsorship of the show. All right, let's start with Ann Arbor Door. Uh, Ann Arbor Door asks if this VU team has zero turnovers or has plus turnovers, are they capable of beating any SEC teams? And you just answered that, Luke. I think in regards to Kentucky, right? If they have zero, right, or they're they're even. You think they're in the fourth quarter in the game within a score in the fourth quarter against Kentucky? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I I can agree with that, right? I think it, I think every game is a little different, but I, I think with this Kentucky team, Kentucky's a team. And Chris, I'm sure you've talked talked about this, but at Southeastern 14, but Kentucky's a team that a lot of people have still at the bottom of the conference. Um, now I know some people have them, you know, bottom half. Who knows? <clears throat> from about two to thirteen. Where, where a lot of these teams are. I think everyone's rankings in the SEC one and fourteen are pretty solidified. Georgia and likely Vanderbilt, but what you do with those other teams in the middle of that pack, who knows? But Kentucky, I think, is a team that Vanderbilt can compete with if they don't turn the ball over. I'll, I'll say that. Um, now, how many are they capable of beating any SEC teams? With with zero turnovers, I think yes. I mean, and I think y'all would agree that there are winnable SEC games out there. We we've seen some weaknesses, right? With, with with a lot of these teams, we saw a weakness with Tennessee in in Gainesville. I know Tennessee will be playing Vanderbilt at home, but you know they're not the same team they were last year. You, know, you look at Ole Miss; they've you know they haven't dominated anyone yet. We'll see about them with Alabama this year, uh, this weekend. South Carolina, you know they they competed with Georgia, but you just don't know week in week out. You don't know. It's his college football. You never know what's going to happen. So I'll I'll say that to that question from Ann Arbor door. Yeah, I mean they they can certainly. You got to play clean football if you're Vanderbilt. And if you do, I would say Kentucky, Missouri, Auburn, and Florida are the teams they have chances with. I don't I don't know if y'all would add a team or or subtract a team from from that that winning list. I guess. Well, I think I think anybody they play, maybe except for a couple of teams, if they have no turnovers and play even football, they have a chance simply because for number one, we can throw the football. Now we couldn't do that last year when you're able to throw the football. Now, if you're able to protect, you know, if you give up 10 sacks, obviously you're not, but yeah, as long as we take care of the football, we'll be in games. Most of them. Anybody remember what happened last time Vanderbilt lost UNLV? Beat the next, the next week they beat Missouri. At home, a ranked Missouri team. Although that would be the last win for, <laughs> for a while. But anyway, point being, yeah, I mean, of course they can. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know that it's 
Billy, when you rank the SEC one to fourteen, I, I think right now Georgia's one, Vanderbilt's fourteen. I, I think LSU's probably Up two. Um, waiting what and you seeing do at, on. But I mean, after that, I mean, that, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let's say that. Let's say that Ole Miss is three, uh, or Texas A&M, or or even Alabama. I, I don't know. Mississippi State might be in that lower part too, based on what mm-hmm. we saw. But I mean, you know, say, say five to five to twelve or whatever. Um, wherever you want to draw your lines, I I don't know that there's a lot of difference. You pick teams out of a hat, put them on a neutral field. Um, you could you could see a lot of teams beat a lot of teams. Uh, Vanderbilt's got to get better. Winning is not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but it's but it's going to be a it's going to be a narrow window. A lot has got to go right. They're going to be positive in turnovers and hope to catch a break and, and hope to stay healthy. So we'll see. Last one here, and this is from Billy Derrick. Uh, I guess you could say producer of this podcast. Um, I've got a lot. of. I could probably sit here and ask you guys three to three to five questions after the UNLV game, but I want to go to London Humphreys. Humphreys is listed as a starter on the depth chart heading into this Kentucky matchup. He had over 100 yards uh, once again. Three catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown. I personally think Vanderbilt needs to go to him a lot more. I know they've tried to, and and they have they have really inserted him into the offense. Now the the issue is you have a guy in Will Shepard that you know you don't want to take catches away from. You also have a guy like a Jade McGowan. So I want to ask you guys, how do they? Do you put London Humphrey? How high in the list do you put London? Because me personally, I think his speed is is way too good uh, to to be kept off the field and not called plays on. He was targeted nine times. Shepard was also targeted nine times. So I mean, pretty even. But uh, do you put Humphreys ahead of Shepard just because of what you might need? I mean, Humphreys is more of a deep threat touchdown type guy uh, than Shepard even is. Now Shepard is. <laughs> He's one of the best receivers in the SEC. I'm not, you know, this the intent here is not to downplay what Shepard can do and has done. But I mean, do you do you try to give Humphreys the ball more? Not not saying they haven't, but what do you think on that, Luke? Uh, it's it depends on what defense they're playing. If they, if first of all, if they've got single coverage, and it's it, you go to Will Shepard because he's more experienced, right? Strong physically. London's just the guy that's going to stretch the defense. But London does one thing that's not that's unlike most freshmen. His route running is tremendous. One thing he still lacks on, though, is when to when to uh, motor down and when to speed up. He mm-hmm. still noticed that. Uh, a couple of his misses where he should have caught the football is because he had, he had not geared down or, or had not sped up. You can't ever he, stop feet on certain routes. He's got to learn some of that. But besides that, absolutely, they're both – one and one A in my way of thinking, but it depends on what they give you. You know, Jaden McGowan could show up big in this type of game. Again, whatever Kentucky decides to do defensively will dictate that. Yeah, I think I think Luke nailed it. Um, I think you take what the coverage gives. You know, here's here's the thing: if you're Vanderbilt, that's the strength you play to guys because those are those are three very different types of players. You, you got a, a track star in Humphreys. You've got a guy in Shepard who's I'm not going to call him a possession receiver because that sounds like I'm that sounds like a backhanded compliment but but he's a guy that a big bodied guy that can go up and get it and and scores a lot of touchdowns great guy to have in the red zone not that Will can't make 
longer plays. And then you got a guy in the slot, McGowan, who's got his own special skill set and can bring you explosiveness. And oh, by the way, Quincy Skinner caught the touchdown, the last touchdown. He's still there. You got Gamarian Carter. You got Junior Sherrill. I, I think that they're going to have to play to their strengths. Um, there's not a lot of places on this team right now that you circle can, can give people fits with this or that, but that's the one. And I, I think to me, if you if you're if you hang on to the ball, you got a shot to win some games just because of those guys. Because they're not they're not outrunning anybody. It seems like I mean UNLV outgained them on the ground, one twenty seven to eighty three. Um, you know, Chris, it might it might be a little bit of a focus here on yeah. We, might need to air it out a little bit now. I mean, we just I, the offensive line still has to be better. The lack of push up front, I think, is still the biggest issue. Two point two yards per carry against UNLV. I mean that that should be that number should be higher. So offensively, guys, I mean that you could see a little even more throws. I mean, what what would you see? Uh, it was thirty five. So I think I think you're going to be in that 35, 40, 45 range from from here on out potentially. Unless they find a way to start running the football better, um, but uh, that's all I got for the mailbag. I put it up a little late, and I apologize for that. Uh, we'll uh, I'll try to get to some of your other mailbag questions in the pregame podcast that that'll be released Friday. So uh, we'll try to we'll try to get to some of those. Uh, also, if you if you uh, if you were late in getting yours in, all right. Parting thoughts. I've I've got none, so I'll I'll go to to Luke and then Billy to close out the show. I'd say the same thing. We've still got eight games left in the season. I don't get the mentality of saying, well, we're not going to win a game. How how anybody knows that, I don't know. Uh, uh, saying we will win a game, I, I think that definitely will happen. I don't know which one. I think we'll win more than one, honestly. I, if we ever quit turning the football over, if we don't, then we won't win another game. Yeah, ball security. I mean, it's obvious by this point. Right through four weeks, it hasn't really gotten better. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the frustration here not only did you lose to UNLV again, right? You lost to him in 19, you lost to him again this year. Um, bad snaps, interceptions, fumbles at crucial times, right? Just awful, awful times. They haven't happened, you know, a lot of the, the a lot of these turnovers, fumbles, and, and, and interceptions here, bad snaps could have been negated a little bit if they didn't happen at just the worst possible time. But I could say almost all of them have happened at awful, awful times. So however you can work on the timing of those mistakes, maybe, but just work on not, not allowing those. Right. I think that that's, that's where you start. Uh, so ball security, big, biggest thing, uh, offensive line up front, I think has to improve, especially heading into sec play. And we're going to see some young corners. It looks like Hyden Berry are going to start, against Kentucky, against three receivers in uh, Barryon Brown, Dane Key, and Tavion Robinson that are really good. So they'll be challenged, right? So it's it's time to clean it up. Everybody's got to clean it up. The players, the coaches, it, it has to be cleaned up or else Vanderbilt is, is going to continue to struggle. One more quick thing I want to say. When Jerry DiNardo was here, if we had trouble with turnovers, in practice the following week, and I know you're only allowed so much time being out there. What he would always do, and I always thought this was a great idea. If if you ran a play in practice and it was a bad snap, fumble, whatever it may be, he said, on the ball, run it again. 
and you do it over and over and over till you can't make a mistake. He was adamant about that. And I think maybe Clark, maybe Clark's doing that this week. I don't know. But to me, that's how you get that out of their system. Run it again, run it again. I don't care if we're here all day. Was the was one of the fumbles last week? Did the did the bad punch snap count as a fumble? Ken Seals fumbled. Right. Um yeah, but I don't that's a good well, question, Chris. That, uh because there were there were three lost fumbles, right? There were five yes, three I, lost fumbles, five total. Okay, so, let, let's let's Swan lost one that went for a touchdown. Seals lost a fumble, you said? Yes, yeah, Seals Man, lost one. this game's one. already a blur. Where, what were the other ones? McGowan. The McG- oh, McGowan had one on the kickoff return, but they, they fell on it and almost uh, didn't fall on it. Uh, what were the other two? Well, you had the snap that went off the up back. So um, d- d- was that a fumble, though? Did that go in the books are- as a fumble? I think that I think so. I'd have to look at the box. Yeah. I think it does. Yeah. And then you also had uh, you know, the bad snap from Hernandez um in the red zone, where I don't even know if that's a fumble though. But nonetheless, there were too many of those. It's just a blur of mistakes at this point. Yeah, and it you know, it got to the point where it was pretty glaring. I mean, I think I think anybody watching that was was surprised. Um, and you know, I, I don't know if y'all would agree, but I'd be surprised if, if it's that bad again, all season, I mean, that was, that, that was, that was pretty bad. We said comedy of errors, right? It, snowballs. They cannot, they, you just cannot let it snowball. I will say this and y'all may have missed this. Clark, not explained. He's not, he's not making an excuse, but Julian's fumbles are, are bad snaps or when someone lines right over top of him. Yeah, because he that means he's speeding up his actions, mm. causing that. Now, I understand it happening once, but that's yeah, you got to be doing that all week long this week, putting somebody right over top of it because mm-hmm. all the other coaches are going to see that on film and do the same thing. Yeah, and Luke, I think when when you and I butt heads on topics, I, I think sometimes we're saying the same thing. You're you're right. If they turn the ball over X amount of times, they're going to lose to anybody. But but sometimes you have a bigger margin of error to win games where you make mistakes. You will see teams that that are minus two and minus three in turnovers win games just because they're better, and they're just they're just not there yet. Yeah, I mean, I look at the two SEC game, games we won last year. The hands to the face by the Kentucky lineman. The game was over if that doesn't happen. And then the uh, fumble pump by Florida that Wesley Schelling recovered. Yeah. That's the difference in winning and losing. Florida yeah. probably were saying the same thing. We wouldn't have lost this game without those two plays. So, You know, one thing I'm hearing a lot is that there's a perceived problem of effort on a lot of teams right now. And again, it might be the, it might be the portal thing. Um, you know, where, where guys can, Hey, if, if I don't, if I'm not playing well and you as a coach jump my case, I just hop in the portal. I, I've heard some people that know football a lot better than, than, than I do that have been in coaching. I've heard a lot of people make comments. I just see when I'm watching games across the country, uh, a, a problem with effort. 
And so, look, it's it's it's. I've gone through. I've given you all the reasons I think could be factors. Luke disagrees with me on some of those, um, and, and that's fine. That's that's why we have this show to to get all points of view out there. But it, it is this interesting time, and it, if you think back on it, it's just so weird that it, that here we are with universities finally committing funds to everything. And, and and no sooner has, has the coach gotten on campus and gotten the promises that they're building the construction on that this this whole game of everything is sort of flipped at the same time. Yeah. Right now, college football is in a blender, and you just hope that they've got the right ingredients because if not, it can go south. Yeah. And, I, and I, go ahead, Billy. Yeah, well – one of the hopes I think now for Vanderbilt is, is something similar to last season happens where that Florida team, I mean, we were all at that game. That Florida team did not, did not want to be in Nashville playing against Vanderbilt. Right. And after that, after that muff punt, I mean, they, they had almost ad- admitted to the fact that they're losing that game. Now I know they had a chance at the end there, but a similar thing happened. I think with Kentucky, they didn't really want to be there. And I think in this age of transfer portal, if Vanderbilt can find a way to, to stick together as a group and, and prevent any of those issues like a lot of these other teams are having, I think because of all the portal guys that come in, maybe they don't play, maybe they got hurt, and you just sort of have this give-up attitude. I think late in seasons is where this you know Clark Lee culture with Team 3 can can really show what it's made of. Early in the season, potentially not so much. But late in the season, Luke, you get you, you see some of these teams that are just sort of falling apart and have have broken at the seams. That's I think where Vanderbilt can cash in, um, and we'll see. We'll we'll see. I, I think they'll have those chances. But a lot of this is about Vanderbilt, right? I think Saturday's game is is as much about Vanderbilt cleaning it up as it is about what Kentucky can do to them, right? I mean, I think that's I think that's where they're at. Yeah, agree. All right. Thanks for watching the Vandy Sports Podcast. Um, again, give us a, a nice review and a rating where you get your podcast. Subscribe to VandySports.com. It's only 99 bucks a year, $9.99 a month. That helps us out a lot. For Luke White, for Billy Derrick, I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for watching. We'll see you again soon.